everyone. Welcome back to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Will Harley. I'm here with the always amazingly wise Pastor Dave Rudot. He is he is here. He is he is rolling with the punches. Um, we have been getting into the habit of doing two shows in a morning and then just sort of spreading out how we can we can we can do this. And and he walked in this morning and he said, I am gonna wing it. And I'm I'm like, all right, let's do this. And the first thing he sat down and he started to sweat. And he's like, I don't know if I can wing <laughs> I'm it. I'm terrified. <laughs> if you don't know, he is the one that comes in prepared with leaflets of all sorts of information. And and I sit here and, all right, let's talk. <laughs> um, not because I'm better. I'll, uh, that's not it at all. It's just we both have a different way of approaching things. Um, and and that is how we are going to, to handle today because um, – we are confronted with uh, a little bit of a, a struggle here in in the next chapter of First Timothy. Um, chapter five of First Timothy deals with widows and elders, and um, if you you haven't noticed from our voice in Tenebrae and and from seeing us, if you've you've been in churches with us, we are neither women nor are we widowed. Um, and so, so we're going to be struggling a little bit with what Paul is talking about um, to these widows. And so, uh, if you definitely, if you find something either that we misspoke or or if you took offense to, or you're like, I don't get it, let's open up these lines of conversation because we might not necessarily get it either. Um, this is part of the fun of going through Scripture and. One, letting uh, scripture interpret scripture, but two, also to find the cultural relevance uh, of where these things were spoken, where we see then the spiritual truth that comes out. So before we do that, let's just uh, have our our little bit of a disclaimer. Everything we say and do here on the podcast is uh, just two pastors just talking, and sometimes more than just us. But today, it's just us talking, bouncing off ideas. Uh, we hold to the Lutheran confessions as we wrestle with all of these things. We definitely hold to the scriptures. We present Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and and we live according to the gifts that he has given in a world given back to us. Uh, thank you, our, our, our good fellow friends of Let the Bird Fly, who has brought that one up to us. Um, but, but we're living in real life, um, and how do we as Christians live real life? That's the struggle that we are trying to, to, to really share with you, and, and how do we do this as people who study the scriptures and people who live in this world? If you don't like what we have to say, turn us off, come back later. If you want to join the conversation, you can reach out to us to Casting Nets. Uh, pod at gmail.com or get us on our Facebook page. Uh, we've had a lot of people sending me messages. I'm sure they're sending you stuff too, or they're talking with us in the church. Awesome way to do it because then we can really uh, confront or, or have those discussions immediately. And if you have a topic that you'd like us to pursue, let us know. Uh, we are always looking for cool and interesting things to talk about. And if it's important and to you. And you have them. You have them, dear listener. You have those dear those ideas. You do. And, and if it's interesting to you, it's interesting to us. Because we are in this little bubble we call the church. And and you are you are living life in, in in maybe a different avenue than what we are. And if you're like, hey, I struggle with this, let's talk about it, and and we'd be more than happy to do that. So, um, just bear in mind all of those things as we we head on into our topic, uh, continuing our look at the pastoral epistles, uh, specifically First Timothy chapter five. Doctrines of demons. That was that was from that was my favorite catchphrase from chapter four of First Timothy four. It is doctrine of demons. So, do we have a famous uh, catchphrase that you would wanna wanna assign to chapter six? I don't have anything in chapter six. Well, it was well. If you, want, I do. You do. Okay, go ahead. That's that's why you brought it up because you haven't something. You don't say. muzzle the ox. Don't muzzle the ox. <laughs> That's from later on in chapter six. Don't muzzle the ox. Stop drinking just water. There you go. Ooh, that's another good one. That's another good one. Yeah. Or the sins of some people are obvious. <laughs> <laughs> that, look at all the good ones that we can just pull out. Yes, yes. The sins of some are obvious, right? 
Um, so, <laughs> okay, let's start. <laughs> All right, so we chapter chapter four dealt with uh, really the the focus on doctrine, right? And 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 living in the visible church and how do we do this uh chapter five he he deals with living in the visible church but now he's focusing specifically on i think certain people within the church um and he's going to deal with two different classes the first is those of widows and and really understanding what makes a true widow and what understanding um difference between older widows and younger widows and how they should interact within the the body of believers um, and then and then switches focus um, and then really hits a little bit more on elders, those people who help the, the, the pastor. What I found fascinating about chapter five and just talking about widows, maybe this is the first thing just to open up the conversation, is the idea that there are qualifications for widows. Uh, the idea that this is uh, some sort of public ministry in the early church where widows were involved in helping out the congregations and helping out the people in their homes. Uh, in some sort of way. But Paul says, if you want to be a widow, if you want this position in the church, there are qualifications, just as there are qualifications for elders there are qualif- and deacons, there are also qualifications for widows. You know, and I, I that is an amazing thing. And, and I just, you know, you brought it up and I'm just starting to think about it now. But the idea that, that okay, we have these positions within the, the visible church, right? Um, the public ministry positions. And he already covered the public ministry positions. And, and he said they have to be a man, um, the, the husband of one wife, um, and, and all these different things. Um, but then he goes, he, he's now broadening it out. And he's saying, but there are other ministries that are available. And, and I never really stopped to consider that, that being that the ministry, the, the in-home ministry of a widow, you know, the, um, and you think about some of those things that we have in our church and some of the widows that we may have in our church, and they say, well, I feel lost and I don't have anything to do and I have nowhere to go. And 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 amalgamating them into the church and saying, well, you can work on a bulletin or you can work on this might not be the answer, but maybe the answer is you can help babysit so-and-so's kids because they're working all the time and they need a break. Or, or you can, you know, hey, have you ever thought meal preparation, helping a younger family, you know, as, as you're trying to teach and, and be an encourager of, of the young wife who is trying to get a handle on things, you know, how, how the generation of these older ladies, um, and and their work ethic and the things that they did could be so wonderfully passed down. Um, maybe this is kind of what Paul is talking about that, that you have a ministry in the home, like you said, in the home of the fellow believers, as you help, and he's going to give a qualification. If you have a family, do it there. <laughs> yeah. Right? So right, the first obligation is to your own family. So if you have a widow in that family, then that widow should be helping out in that family. So uh, that's the first thing. So I I appreciated what Paul is saying because he is, he is elevating the, the family, the, the, the innate family structure, the bloodline, the, the, the ties of a family is a good thing. And the family should be helping out one another and, and not to let that be somebody else's job, whether that be uh, the government's job or the church's job. Right. And I, I would say it, let's let's just back up a little bit and go with the, the first uh, two verses where we're really in a, in a very uh, succinct way. Um, well, actually, the Lord did it very more succinctly where the Lord said, love uh, your neighbor as yourself. Um, Paul expands upon that and he says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but encourage him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. I, I just put the little definition of, um, this is a takeoff of, of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself, but really saying, treat everyone as family, especially, I mean, he's dealing with the body of believers. They're your family. Um, I don't know if you caught it. You walked in this morning. I said, morning, brother. Um, we are not related, and he's saying, "Thank God." <laughs> That's not what I said. <laughs> um, but but we are brothers, right? We are brothers and sisters in the Lord, and and we should treat each other as family. Now that doesn't mean that you know the people that you anger the most is family. That's not. I'm not saying that, but the, the fact that we will do anything for our family, that's how we should treat each other. And that's how, and he's very strong on that. If you don't take care of your own family, you're, it's you've denied the faith. He says that in verse eight. Uh, you've denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Just the idea of taking care of your own family is an important part. But he's also acknowledging that within the Christian church, you don't have the the family structure there. It may be uh, 
pieces and bits and pieces of it there. The family has been maybe torn apart by divorce or de- by death. Uh, the family needs some help, and the church can help uh, provide those parts of the family which are missing because of circumstances. Sure. Uh, sin affects the world, um, and because sin affects the world, unfortunately, um, the church must pick up those pieces and and fill in the gaps and correct through Christ what sin has, has dealt with. Uh, I remember sitting around a council table early on in my ministry, and, and one of my elders said um, very beautifully, in fact, he said, you know, Pastor, uh, you are the husband to many widows in the congregation because when they need to talk, and, 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 I, meant, and I know he meant it in a very loose, loose way, but, but um, it, was, it was one of those things that is very true in many ways. Right? When they needed to talk, I was their sounding board. Uh, when they needed help, I was called. Um, and, and so there was this idea of, of a familial relationship there um, that is beautiful within the church. I really appreciated it when I served out west. There was a, one congregation that I served. I served three congregations in eastern Montana and one in uh, Pierre, South Dakota. And the elders of the one of the congregations that I served out in eastern Montana, they really took that role on. Like The widows in the congregation, they made sure they were taken care of and that, that they were providing. They were the sons uh, that those widows didn't have because their sons were off somewhere else um, or they weren't available or they didn't care that this, this individual took it upon himself to say, I'm going to watch over uh, this individual to provide the family, as you were saying, Will, before the family that was missing because of sin circumstances or because of just circumstances in general. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, and, and I, I, I really would like to talk uh, today about, um, and, and maybe expand it out a little bit more, but, but this idea, we have it in our head, this idea of retirement, that you reach a certain age, reach a certain pinnacle in life or certain circumstances in life, and you no longer do anything. Um, you come and you receive the gifts of the Lord, but then you just kind of sit on your laurels and do nothing. And I don't see that ever in Scripture. I don't. I don't ever see retirement in 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 living in the body of Christ and doing things in the service of others in the body of Christ. Um, I, I look at uh, Moses, and and he went forty years, and then he was out wandering in the desert forty years, and he was eighty, and the Lord said, "Hey, I got another job for you," and he didn't say, "I'm sorry, Lord, I'm retired." Um, no, he, he, he did that until he's 120 and then the Lord said he was still good to go, but the Lord took him anyway. Yeah. Paul's saying I'm being poured out, but like a drink offering. Yeah. There, there is no, there is no limit on, on, well, um, you know, it's time for the younger generation to step up. up. Um, now do I agree the younger generation should step up? Absolutely. But how are they going to step up if, if the older generation doesn't take them by the hand and say, come and do this with me? And, and, and the older generation in many respects, and this is my own soapbox, I'm going to step on the soapbox and I'll get off of it in a second. The, the older generation has to, has to take them by the hand, the younger generation, and say, come and do this with me. And when the younger generation says, we can do it better, the older generation should say, show me. Let's work together. Instead of the older generation saying, no, you will do it the way that I have always done it because this is the way I like it. No, if you want to hand it off and you want to encourage them to take ownership of their ministry and take ownership of the church and take ownership of what's going on, you have to step back and say, let them do it. It's like the farmer, who, the older farmer who, whose son is learning how to farm, and the son says, they make equipment, Dad, that will do all this for you. And the dad says, no, we're going to take and harness up the horses and we're going to spend. And the guy's like, I can do this in a half hour behind a truck. You know, um, let them. The, the goal is not to have them do exactly as you do it. The goal is to get them out there to, to, to help you do it and, and, and to hand that off to them eventually as your time on this earth comes to an end and your ministry in, in, your, in your personal vocation comes to an end and you're called home. We'll pause for a second for Will to come down from his soapbox. It's a really high soapbox. It's pretty high. I had to use an extension ladder. So let's talk about the qualifications some more. Not as not only does the the widow have to be uh, someone who is who doesn't have her own family, but what are some other qualifications that Paul mentions that a widow has to have? Well, you know, so essentially what he says. So he he makes this moniker in verse three where he says, okay, remember you have to honor true widows. So, so true widows need help. And he, first of all, just says, okay, you're not a true widow. If you have children or grandchildren who are able to, you're able to devote time to them and they are able to help you. Okay. So, and remember, please, dear listener, in our society, that would change a little bit because we do have widows in our society 
whose kids and grandkids are so far flung that it's as if they are widows. We're talking about a uh, we're talking about a generation of people which up until what 1950, uh, where that changed, didn't move as much as they do now, right? Um, so you had, you know. Uh, you had families that stayed very, very close in the same cities and the same towns and the same whatever. Um, that, that has been more of a historical thing than, than what we see nowadays where we have all this movement where, where your son or daughter may be in California and you're living on, you know, in Wisconsin. Um, and so they can't really help you. So, so take that with a grain of salt and, and what, what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying is if, you're, if your family is next to you and if they're close enough to you and your kids are there and you have grandkids there, you should be devoted to helping them and they should be devoted to helping you. So you're not necessarily a true widow because you have someone there. But he does say, he, he does give the, the qualifier in verse five, right? He says, now the widow who is without relatives has put her hope in God, continues in her petitions and prayers night and day. So he, he immediately says, okay, a true widow is someone who doesn't have relatives and is a believer, now, you would say, well, aren't there widows that are not believers? I, I suppose there is, but that's not my concern. You're talking about the visible church, and there's some sort of activity that these widows do within the visible church, which requires them, first of all, to be believers, is what you're saying? Right, where, where okay, I'm not going to go out and find widows who are just widows. No, he's saying, okay, so, and here's where I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, he started off this whole section saying we are to treat we are to treat everyone in the church's family, right? We treat everyone in the church's family. And so if immediate family isn't there for, for this woman, I am now her family and she is a part of my family and I take responsibility for her and helping her and she helping me. Um, so it's a beautiful thing um, being, you, you go back to Genesis and I know this this refers primarily to husband and wife, but it, I think it also in a wider, wider way uh, applies to community. God says it is not good for man to be alone and it's not good for a woman, uh, for a woman to be alone. And so what does God do when he, when he baptizes us into Christ and the Holy Spirit takes us through time and space and links us to the body of Christ. He places us into the body of Christ. He doesn't place us there alone. We're not, we're not, we're not it's not just me and Christ facing the world. He always connects us to a, the church. He connects us to the body with other other people. And and I think this is where Paul is is really in a beautiful way linking this to the widows. He's saying, okay, blood relation isn't there. You're it. They're a part of your church. They're active in their church. You're it. Let's go. And and that's first qualification. To me. That's my ramblings. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so a uh, widow it needs to be a Christian, needs to be have, not have her own family to watch over. We I think we've covered that uh, several times already. But now let's start looking at verse uh, nine and following sure. about um, other qualifications. Which again, like I said, I'm fascinated just be, because you have qualifications for elders, you have qualification for deacons, but now you also have qualifications for this other public ministry within the church, which is uh, for the widow, and uh, she's got to be a, a certain age, which. We don't have any other position that has an age attached to it, and I think there's something significant to the fact that of that age, and I think he brings that up uh, later on in that paragraph about widows, because uh, he specifically talks about younger widows, which is a, a minefield. I think Will and I were like, well, we, how do we how do we talk about this without sounding like we're uh, sexist? How is it talking about how are we? Uh, because Paul does seem to overgeneralize, but what principle is he laying down for all of us as we're looking at this uh, uh, public ministry that he has given to us? Uh, not older; she's got to be over sixty years old. She also has to have, also has to have a good reputation. So this you, is something you skipped one though. I did skip one. Oh, a wife of one husband. Bingo. So okay, you, she, she couldn't have been married multiple times because now she has opportunity, right, to have a family. Sure, right. So uh, her her job of being a wife and mother is done is kind of what he's saying. Is that yes. did I get that right? Um, then the good reputation for doing good, and um, if she brought up children, so it doesn't necessarily that she has to have had children, but if she brought up children, that she um, 
Wait, is that a qualification? She has to bring up children in order to be a widow. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, and and here's so so um, the way that the EHV links it, and I think it's an appropriate linking. Um, the uh, the 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 linking of it is connected to her reputation. So, in other words, not that she had to have her own children, but that she helped participate in the raising of a next generation. That that it was a that that even though she could maybe not have had her own, she participated in and found value in instilling what what is good into some in, into the next generation. So, so um, it's not as well. I can't have children, so I'm just not going to you know I'm not going to associate with them. No, it's I can't have children, but I want to be. I, I want to I want to still be a part of this and help someone else. Or perhaps she was a part of it in from in some other family structure. Because sure. if, if she's a widow within that family structure. Uh, she could have been helping the other moms in her family or in her clan raising her children. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yep. Uh, and I would definitely say that that she could have even raised her own siblings, or or been a part of that. Maybe she she before she got married and then she lost her husband without having children. She did help raise her her siblings too. I would I would include that in there. So it does seem like this uh, the job of a widow in the early Christian church had something to do with the raising of children. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had a qualification for the widow to be. You have to have some experience raising children. Is that correct? Yes, uh, I would. And, and 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 again, I would just step back and just say, realize the raising of children. Um, in we sometimes realize, uh, fail to realize the raising of children is not just to pack them up and send them to school. The raising of children was living that lifestyle of hard work and, and ethics and, and morality and um, instilling into them a desire for their Lord and a desire for what is good. Um, <clears throat> where where that was the call of, of these wives, uh, the call of mothers um, and fathers too, but but mothers predominantly was to help with that in the home, right? And and you see that in her actions that follow because it's not only just raising the children, but it's it's showing of hospitality, which is a lesson that their children would learn. Um, it's it's the washing of the feet, welcoming welcoming other Christians and saying, this is what we do, and this is very much seen um, as, as part of the house, um, providing help. I mean, look at all the list of things that she would be instilling into these children as part of what she did as a normal. I mean... What I would really say here, if it was me and I was stepping back, I would say, okay, take take Proverbs 31 and apply that. If she did what Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character, and then lost her husband, <laughs> she's a qualified for widow. <laughs> would I be wrong? I, I think that's an interesting idea for our listeners to think about. Is the the totality of Scripture? Of what does uh, what does a woman in the Old Testament, which is, to be honest, you know, a thousand years late earlier and a thousand years later, but there are some commonalities to the raising of children that is godly, and some commonalities of raising of children that is not godly. Well, and it's not just children; it's being busy and 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 being having a good reputation in the community and being hospitable and providing for. And so, so in other words, what he's saying is, is if you have a woman who, who has been truly doing what her, her God-given vocation has been, and she's doing the best that she can within the gifts that God has given to her and provided for her, and she loses this husband, um, she is qualified to be taken care of by the church. Um, there is, there is, and, and why 60? Uh, we'll go back just to the beginning, but why 60? Because you're at that age now where you can't remarry, Right. Just uh, for clarification, are we talking about a widow that the church is going to care for? Or are we talking about a widow who's going to have some sort of active role in the church, well, going and I, from home to home? And that's, and that's what I think. What he's talking about, because I I think we and and that's a really good question, Dave. And I and and I'm glad you asked it because I think you have here um, a difference between he's not saying okay, he's not making the classification of we're going to call you a widow because you lost your husband. He's making classification and saying okay. To be a widow who is going to engage in uh, a ministry, not the ministry, but a ministry of the church, you have to meet these qualifications. And what was what's the ministry that they're going to engage in? We're going to sort of get into that when he talks about um, the younger women who are not qualified for this, and and the ministry seems to be one of going from house to house of the rest of the church and helping out the wives. That that the the widow's ministry was one of helping other mothers 
and helping other women in their day-to-day tasks to help alleviate the strain. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing, which, which we could talk about later on as, as we, we continue on. But is that sort of what you're thinking? Well, yeah. It, it was just that you started talking about widows in terms of something that the church provide for. And I, I think the church did provide for the widows, but it gave something for the widows to do. So it but wasn't that is like providing, they were... isn't it? I mean, that's that's one of the one of the wonderful things about the church. It provides. So, okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna take a step back here and say that that is the job of the church. We are brought into the body, and we are brought into the body not just to sit. Every part of the body for, performs a function. And, and just like a family provides a function for every part of the family, right? You, you as a child in your family did not just sit there on the couch and let the world revolve around you. You were encouraged to be a part of something, right? And you eventually learned how to mow the lawn, you event, whatever the case may be. The same thing with, with grandparents. Grandparents with their kids, with their own children around and their grandkids around, they are a part of it. I, I help watch. I help do. You know, I help paint. The, my mom came over and helped painted my son's room, and they did that together. There was a thing for them to do. Well, when you don't have that, the church provides it. The church provides these opportunities for the body. Um, and, and how? Well, in this case, it seems that the widow was provided an opportunity to do what she had desired to do, which is to support a family, to, to, to be that backbone for others, right? And So it would be a both and, wouldn't it? It would be the, the widow has a role in the church, but then the widow is also supported by the church. Is that what? It, I think I'm understanding yeah, you correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our dear listener, maybe it's just me mis, mishearing and misunderstanding what you, what, what you were saying or what, the direction you were going. So let's get back to our point of, of the widows uh, having these uh, um, having these qualifications, and but now there is a group of widows that do not have those qualifications, and, and Paul talks about the reason why. Yeah, he talks about the younger widows um, again. Wid- and this happened in that day and age where where men. It, I mean, it was very very possible they'd go out to war. There was disease. People died at really early ages. And so you'd have these younger ladies who all of a sudden lost their husbands and they didn't have children. They didn't have, you know what I'm saying? They may not have had the opportunity to, to really formulate their house and get things in order. Um, and, and Paul says, don't, don't get them into this program. Don't, don't start involving them into this program of going to, going to other married women's homes and helping out in the home because they've got some desires to have their own home. And it's going to conflict with the the this this home uh, this ministry that we're forming, right? Um, and, and as part of the church, and so let them get married, let them pursue that 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 avenue. Um, bef- I think this is we have really had some discussions how to approach this. So I'm hopefully we could replicate it. <laughs> well, either replicate it or codify it a little bit, and say, okay, just to be on the safe side, we're saying we're not saying that they aren't important. We're saying that that they are going to be there. Their natural tendency, because they're young and they're looking for a they're looking for a husband, or or looking looking for that having that desire is going to conflict with this vow of 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 helping that that the church is establishing, and so it's going to lead them to doctrines of demons, right? Uh, <laughs> it's going to lead. Them. <laughs> it sounds like well, you like that phrase. I don't know. I just <laughs> I'm trying to bring it up. Something maybe somebody has been. Yeah, saying that phrase a lot, and now you're saying it. Well, again. yeah. In verse 15, he says it in a, in a different way. He says, "In fact, some have already turned, turned away, away to follow, follow Satan." Satan yeah. So, doctrine of demons. demons I mean, again. come on. Um, but but they they want to get into the busyness, busybodiness of getting into other people's lives instead of doing the work that is intended to be done. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, the, yeah, the previous chapter, dear listener, if if you didn't listen to chapter four, then you, you shouldn't be listening to chapter five. five. <laughs> chapter four, we talked about how the doctrines of demons is one where they looked down on marriage and said that uh, being celibate is actually a better thing. And here, Paul is saying marriage is a good thing, and the fact that these women have a desire to be married uh, is a good thing, especially if these are Christian, because we're talking about inside of a visible church, so they have the Holy Spirit working in godly desires in these people through the means of grace and that godly desires is to have families and that's a part of god's design for marriage so marriage is a good thing so if if a young widow has said i want to serve the church i want to serve the lord who saved me and i don't have a husband yet and here's an avenue for me to do that paul says i know you want to help serve the church but you can serve the church 
by getting married by, by, by getting married and having a family and this right. is a good thing that if that there might be a situation where if you are serving the church as in this widow program uh, you would be torn between two good things and this would lead to sin this would this would the devil would use this or the doctrine of demons would would lead your conscience uh, to uh, violate either one or the other either you violate your marriage uh, desires that, that God has put inside of you to, to get married and you would be violating the vow and the promise that you made to serve the church. So Paul says, "This is we don't want that. We don't want having you to choose between two good things, which leads to sin, which the devil isn't afraid to do. He isn't afraid to get inside the visible church and disrupt things and to take the good things that God has established and say, how can I, how can I ruin them? How can I pit them against one another so that uh, the, the, the uh, Christian is flounders in their faith? So let's not let's try to avoid that if, if if at all possible. And and I'm and I also think we need to. This is probably a good time for us to say it, in because we're half hour in. Paul is not saying this is the only thing women, especially widows, can do. He's saying, okay, the general tendency is widows flounder, and they don't know where they their places because what they wanted and what God had given to them was taken from them because of sin. That, 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 I, and I, I'm, okay, so this hits a little home, home to me. My, my aunt, um, is left a widow and she has, she has spent the years wrestling with my uncle and his cancer and being his caretaker and, um, the funeral yesterday, um, and I had gone to visit her before, but at the funeral, um, she just looked lost. I mean, she looked lost. What do you do now, right? What do you do now? And and it was awesome to see my 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 cousins, her kids, kind of just envelop her and and okay, you know, when you're ready, you can come and help us here, and you can come and do this here, and you can be a part of that, and you can be a part of this, and I think she'll be fine. But that's what that's exactly what Paul is saying, um, as he's he's saying to Timothy, he says, you know, okay, when you're young, you, you kind of find your place it's 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 easy to find your place you know you get married you find your place in your family you, you for men you can get to work you can do these things but but for these widows they sometimes can get lost and if they don't have these things the church can provide a place for them um in the body of believers in this visible in this visible church and we can we can we can get a system to go and work and and say okay you know um these women want to help families get them involved in these families let, let's let's create this this system, um, and I'll be honest with you. I wish we had it today. I I, I really do. Um, I wish we had a system where where our widows today, um, instead of saying okay I'm done, um, would would be like yes let's get involved with these families. Hey you need help with meals or hey you need help with babysitting. I can help watch these kids for these young families. I can be involved with them and get to know the younger families and bring them up and say, you know, hey, I can't wait to see you at church. And now you're encouraging the young families to come back to church and be a part of this because we're creating this family, right? Um, I don't know if I could ever spearhead a a, a movement like that to to return to this this concept in the church, but man, I would love to. It's a beautiful thing. I, I'm just thinking of it in terms of how it worked organically. I know for us as a pastor, when we lived out west, we had we did not have family around. And so there were elderly ladies who kind of took us under their wing. And I, I thought to myself, this is awesome that they're serving the Lord this way. But there are plenty of other families today who could use, uh, could benefit from having elderly ladies in their, in their midst, in their church, in their family, in their family life. Um, they're a powerful influence on my kids. My kids, we had one woman who took us and took the girls and they did uh, quilting. Uh, with her and and sewing and things of that nature, which my wife isn't a, a quilter or a sewer. Um, she can, you know, sew buttons and fix pants and things, but not like this, not like a quilt, not like, you know, all this. So all of these, and, and that's not the only skills that she would teach. Um, no, they learned well. stories. They learned they learned that the, the, they learned the past. They learned some awesome things. Uh, we had a family. We had a family that that and and again, and I think it happens when pastors move away from their family and they have nothing, and then these other they they kind of flock to you. But we had a very good family that 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 took us under their wing. And my kids, I mean, it was that they they saw them and they lost their mind. They were it was great, but I mean, they were a married couple. It wasn't a widow, but it, but same idea. Um, where where the the gentleman um, 
His name was Gary, wonderful guy, and he wouldn't mind that I used his name. Um, he, I mean, he would take he would take my son fishing. He'd be like, "I got time. I want to go fishing. Liam want to come." I couldn't. I had a job, um, and he'd take him fishing, and it just loved it. Just loved it, you know. Um, uh, you know, Mary would his wife would take our take the girls, and they just thought it was great. And she would empty out the closet and make forts in the closet uh, at their house, and they were you know they were they were grandparents' age. Um, and just a beautiful thing that they they helped serve in that way the body of of believers. Um, and and I think this is the point that that Paul is making is you don't have to sit there alone. You don't have to sit there with nothing. You can be a part of this family, and this is an active ministry that if you don't want to engage with, you don't have to. But if you want to, you can. Here's an opportunity for you to serve the Lord and have the the church also help you as well. I think there would that's that's part of it too, isn't it? The church providing for these widows but also giving them something to do so that it's not just a, right. a passive, we're helping out the widows, but the widows can also actually help the church as well. Right. So it's not just a take, take, take. It's a give and a take within the body. Um, and, and I think he's, he uh, just maybe to walk us through the end of this section on widows, uh, if we're ready to get to there, um, he, he does give this like uh, this little final qualifier in 16. He says, if any believing woman has widows in her family, let her keep helping them rather than letting them become a burden to the church so that the church may help those who are truly widows. Um, so, so in other words, again, this program is not for the people who have people in their life already. This, this program is for the people who have no one and need this. Um, and so, so if you have a widow in your family, incorporate her. That's the encouragement. <laughs> yeah, your believer, incorporate her into your own family. Um, and if you don't have anybody, then the church will step in and, and we are going to help. And I just want to build on the what you were talking about before, is that the church isn't meant so that you would be an, alone in your membership in that church. The church is meant to be a community uh, that is brought together through word and sacrament, also a community that is brought together in their homes, uh, that is active not just on the days that we worship, but is active throughout the week, uh, helping one another and helping us grow in our Christian faith with having Christians around us modeling that faith and teaching us that faith as well. I, I and I, I want to come back to this and, and I might I don't know if I can think about it, pursue it or 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 just sit on it a little bit, but I am interested to figure out what it would look like to see this in the in the church today. I, I really am. Um I, I and as the church gets older and older and older and it does, uh what would that look like? Right? What would that look like as as we have more and more uh, widowed um, ladies in our congregation, or or widowers, men too? I wouldn't just and and how what would that look like when their family is so far away because we're such a far flung community now? Um, what would that look like for us to 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 get something in the church that would enable them an opportunity to serve, to be in contact with these younger couples, younger families? I don't know what it would look like, but man, that would be something really awesome to pursue. I agree. It would be awesome to pursue, but almost as awesome is muzzling the ox. Well, I mean, that was your one second. of your catch. <laughs> <laughs> that was your catchphrase for today. And if we're already a half hour into the show, and we Are haven't even talked about should... your catchphrase yet, I the last episode. Doctrine of Demons was really early, really early, Will. I'm just I'm just saying. Well, I can't help it that Paul put that really early in the text. <laughs> so you're going to blame Paul now. <laughs> I, I am. I can't blame the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right. So, okay, moving on then into the second half of, of this lesson. Paul is just sort of knocking things down as he's going, and he's talking about uh, ministry opportunities within the visible church, of course. And, okay, he moves from widows, and he goes back to elders. Um, now we're not really looking at the qualifications of the elders as much as we are looking at at the response the visible church has for their prosperos, their um, the, the the ones who lead them and help guide them. And so what we have here is this uh, um, wonderful, wonderful phrase where he he enters in seventeen and he says, "Okay, um, the elders, so your your pastors, right? They are due um, a double honor." And then he says especially, and I love this part, especially the ones who work hard in word and doctrine. And I love that qualification because, you know, we all know, good, bad, or indifferent, we all know that there are pastors and then there are 
pastors. Well, see, that's the point that I'm going to disagree with you on, is that just the idea that there could possibly be elders in these congregations who aren't regularly in the word and, doc- and doctrine, but they are part of the leadership of those congregations. I don't, I don't think it's it's fair for us to equate presbyters with pastors and say that's a it's an it's an it's an equivalency uh, going on there. However, uh, the point is that there are elders who work hard in the word and doctrine, and that's usually our pastors who are working hard. In and and I doctrine. would agree with you. It's not. I let and and and, and then I'll take and I will take a step back because I do agree with you. It's not just limited to the pastoral ministry. It is. It it could be elders as well. But I think I I like how what Paul says is okay. Anybody who strives for this is do a double honor. It's not just wow, good for you. They are do a double honor. But but I like how he adds especially those who live in the word and study doctrine. To me, that is a highlight in my ministry. Um, and and um, it was one of the things that I enjoyed out in, in South Dakota and is one of the things that I do enjoy here because my congregation encourages it. My job is to study scripture. My job is to study doctrine and to share it. And they let me do that. And, and they don't, they try very hard not to fill my days. Some days there are, but they try very hard not to fill my days with a bunch of busy work that has nothing to do with word and sacrament ministry and doctrinal ministry. And, and I think that is an amazing thing, um, that, that they afford that to me, and they, they find it to be highly honorable that I focus on that. I, I, I admire that, and I, I'm really encouraging that for your congregation here, Will, that it's a good thing. Keep it going. And I also wanted to add to it just the idea of our uh, the, the district president, those who are in, our, in positions of authority in our own synod, where it is such a tendency to take pot shots at those in leadership as if uh, they are... They should know better, or they should keep up with the times, or they should you know shouldn't be so stuffy and whatnot. And just to take a step back and say, these men have been called and put in those positions where they and they are being held accountable uh, for how they hold on to the word and doctrine uh, by the Lord, not by us, but by the Lord. And to cut them some slack and to pray for those in our leadership positions that they would do the task that God has uh, put in front of them to do to hold on to God's word and and to defend it. Right, and then it comes, and, and really, what it what does it do? It says, don't muzzle the ox, right, while it is treading. Uh, definitely a, a case from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, uh, where where Paul is taking the Old Testament, and, and, and he is saying, um, quit getting in the way of people who are, are in the middle of their work. Um, what is the job of the elder, the job of the pastor? Uh, the job of the elder and the job of the pastor is to watch over the spiritual well-being of the church. How does he do that? Through word and doctrine. Get out of his way. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't put a don't put a barrier on him and don't stop him in that work. Um, let him do that work. I always thought that was in a reference to uh, that he deserves his wages, where he talks about and the worker is worthy of his pay of his pay of the 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 ox is working on the grain and because the ox is working on the grain, he gets hungry, so he starts eating the grain so that they would muzzle the ox so he doesn't eat the grain. You think, well, wait a minute, this this ox is working. You need to pay and support and feed the ox. While he's eat, while he's uh, uh, doing anything, he's looking up Deuteronomy. I am looking up Deuteronomy just so we get a, a good reference to to where it's coming from, right? Okay, so it, it comes from. Uh, I'll read you just the context here in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five, going into the the couple of verses before and a couple of verses after of, of what we're talking about. So uh, Moses, by the Spirit, writes: uh, When there is a dispute between men, and they go to court, and the verdict is reached, and they have acquitted the innocent person and convicted the guilty one, if the guilty one is to be flogged, the judge is to make him lie down, and he will order him to be flogged in the presence of the number of blows uh, that is proportionate to be guilt. Uh, for his guilt. He may have him struck 40 times, but no more, so that your brother does not become degraded in your eyes by receiving a severe beating uh, that goes beyond this number. Then he says, you are not to muzzle an ox when it is threshing. And then he goes right from there to when brothers live together and one of them dies without having children, the wife of the deceased brother is not to marry. So it doesn't give you any context whatsoever as to other than Moses put it there so that Paul could quote it. 
<laughs> because that's how the Holy Spirit works. So, so if I'm understanding what you're saying is the ox is trying to work, don't get in his way. And so if you're if you're taking that in terms of if you're going to punish someone, let them actually work when they get done with the punishment. Don't punish them so much that they can't work. Is that really yeah the yeah? Picture? I I think the picture that we're seeing here is is you know don't get in their way and say I can do this better when when this is the task that you've assigned them. Let them do the task, um, and don't don't muzzle them. Don't don't restrict them. So it's like if you have a council that says, Pastor. Um, we don't want you to, 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 you know, we want you to tone down the preaching of the law um, because I think you're making people feel uncomfortable. That's a muzzle, right? That That's a muzzle that says, no, God's God's word is this. And and if you don't confront it and you don't share it and it's, it's, it's all of its purity, law and gospel, we do a disservice. You're muzzling me in hmm. this ability. Um, that's how I have kind of always approached this in the sense that, that he's saying, okay, you know what? Um, they're working hard. They're gathering around the readings of scripture. They're, they're gathering around the true doctrines. Get out of their way. Let them do that. Um, uh, don't muzzle them and then support them in it, which is the second statement, right? And that's Leviticus 19, three. Also again, uh, Luke 10, uh, uh, verse seven, where Jesus, Jesus again quotes from Leviticus where he says the worker is worthy of his pay. Um, so so these elders, these pastors, whichever or both, they're worth what what you're giving them because they are giving you life here and life to come. That's that's referencing back to what he says to to Timothy, right? In in chapter four, that what you're gathering around and what you're studying, the spiritual thing is 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 for life now and life to come and it's worth it um is now a good time to talk about the pay for pastors yeah <laughs> well <laughs> i'm also i've heard and you and read somewhere about the muzzling of oxes talking about the pay for pastors but i'm really having a second thought about that now just to the idea of it hasn't it doesn't have that context in deuteronomy we're inserting that context as and we're inserting that meaning into it where it He's just talking about somebody who is working and being whipped, and if they're being whipped, don't whip them too much so that they can't do their job. Right. And, and so the same thing with the pastor is don't restrict them so much that they can't do their job, which is right. watching the Word of God. And, and, and then he follows it up. One of the ways you could restrict them, and I think this is where the, that connection comes in, he says, okay, don't do this. And one of the ways that you could be doing this is by not, pay. yeah, not paying them what they're worth. I, I I've read this all the. Um, this goes back to our other conversation about uh, um, reading stuff from outside of the wells, but just the idea of I don't remember exactly where I read this, so I I can't quote it. But just the idea of if you, for uh, a congregation supporting a pastor, if you pay the pastor more than say synod code it doesn't necessarily have the same effect as if you pay him less than synod code other than the money like the psychological effect where a guy says well i'm being paid for more than what my brothers are getting paid for okay that's nice but if you're getting paid less than what your brothers around you are being paid for that has a a, a higher psychological effect on the, on his ministry because he is he is trying to do his job and he's going i'm not being respected by. I can say, and and maybe not for every pastor, but I can say that from my, uh, from my understanding of 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 pastors that I have met in the ministry, pastors who are paid more have a tendency to have bigger libraries, um, because they are not afraid to buy the books and to study and to offer their members more. They have donated more to the church to alleviate the costs, so that the church wouldn't have to purchase. Um, I, I I would I would definitely say that it might not have a morale. I think you're right. It might not have a morale effect, but I think that called worker. I mean, we're called workers because we like to serve God's people, um, and and we've been called to do that, and not because I guess maybe someone's out there because they're like it's job security or whatever. But I I doubt it. No one wants to go through what we go through just to say it's job security. Um, and I'm, it's especially not a, in our day and age where jobs are. Yeah. And it's plentiful. not a martyr complex. I'm not, I mean, it, it's much easier for you to get a job and not have to go and work Saturday and Sunday and be on call 24 hours a day and still make a living wage. 
than to be a pastor and 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 have to deal with what happens, you know, being at the bedside. And, and it's a privilege to be at the bedside of a dying person, but it hurts. It does. It yeah, hurts. Emotionally. It's emotionally, it hurts. Um, and, and not have to do that and still get a living wage. You could find an easier job. Um, that's all I'm saying. But 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 what I am what I'm saying here and, and this is is as a, it might not have a morale effect because because I think you and I would both and you've said it and, and, and I have said it, too. It's not about the money. Um, you know, I am very grateful what God's people give to me through through their their graciousness and, and how they're led to give according to the Lord. It's not about the money, but I do believe that pastors who are paid more give more back to the church because that's just what we do. Um, because that's just what a Christian does. Um, you know, I think a Christian gives exponentially back with what God has exponentially given. And that isn't a promise, just an observation. Right. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, I think I'll go back to, and, and maybe clarify what I was saying. And yeah, the morale hit, if you are paying less than what your brothers and brothers are getting is higher than the morale bonus that you would get if you're paid more that the the effect on the pastor um it, so anyway it goes back to what paul is saying the double honor how do you honor those whom god has put in your midst and have tasked with uh defending the word of god and and bringing the doc the true doctrines of the bible to you how can we we show honor let them do their work and and let them not be so concerned about how they're going to be taking care of themselves and their families. Absolutely. And I, and and actually thank you for this because you know I I uh I I hadn't made the connection and it is textual that that really the double honor is the ability to and and I like how he says it. If you're if you're working hard and staying in the word and doctrine, they shouldn't have any reason to muzzle you. <laughs> honor one. <laughs> you're working hard especially if you're working hard and, and sticking to the doctrines, they have no reason to not give you what you're worth cuz you're worth so much. Uh, to them in their spiritual life, um, I was wondering that myself too, but I didn't say anything. So let's let's keep moving. Um, I liked how he defends the public ministry of because uh, you know if you're going to be speaking the truth, not everyone's going to like what you have to say, and you are going to piss people off. I'm, I can I, I can say that I'm the you just did I just did, <laughs> <laughs> but you are going to I and I think uh, there are certain circumstances where. Will and I are both like, if I say this, this is really going to tick them off, and we don't take any joy in that. Sometimes, to be honest, I've a been little bit said, of a joy. I have been said that I preach the law with a smile and that I preach the gospel with a frown. And I've tried to turn that around, well, and I've had people say, don't do that because it's freaky when you preach the gospel <laughs> with a smile. <laughs> I still think you should preach the gospel with a smile, so that that's where my vote goes. But just... <laughs> uh, so anyway, just the idea of protecting the, the the ministry of those around. Not that we, not that we want to hide our sins or hide uh, characters, but just the idea of let's take let's treat this seriously, and if uh, what they're and acknowledging that the work that they're doing isn't going to make people isn't going to make them friends necessarily. The only friendship that is established is a friendship, to be honest, that's established through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in that person's heart. Because that individual, that pastor, that presbyter, that elder, came to me and said something I didn't want to hear. Right. And, and and he cared enough about me that he said something I didn't want to hear. And I didn't like it at the time, but uh, now I see why he did what he did. And But I, I like how he gives the qualification. He's like, don't it's, he doesn't just make a flat-out statement and say, okay, don't ever accuse an elder. He says that he does say, you know, okay, two or three witnesses. And, and I don't want to say two or – and, and I, I like how he says witnesses because he doesn't include two or three people who heard <laughs> <laughs> or two or three people you talked to and said, well, I kind of agree with you. No, two or three people, people who, who were heard. witness to it and saw what happened and can say, I was there. Um, and I think this is something that we have to be very, very careful of because sometimes we'll say, well, so-and-so heard so-and-so heard so-and-so and set this person off and then we, we act on it. No, we can't do that. And, and that's a hard thing to have to say to somebody. I can't, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I acknowledge what you're saying and I can acknowledge why you'd be cautious. But unless you heard it, unless you were present, I can't act because 
that it's hearsay. And, and, and this is an Eighth Commandment issue. Yeah. Nowadays, we have Twitter and uh, social media that can be witnesses <laughs> to, to sure. some of the things that you do. But sure. back then, it was two or three witnesses, and I think it's still a good principle now today because... Well, uh, or you could even, say one even, video from your cell phone. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> one YouTube broadcast. Uh, <laughs> um, but any, uh, just the idea of having two people, because you can not... Even Will and I in our conversations here in the podcast... I, I listened to what he has to say, and I'm like, I'm not sure, it, you know, I'm not, I don't think I heard him correctly, um, and and so on. So anyway, yeah, but, but I, I think I, we're we're preaching to the choir. The idea sure. of witnesses being a good thing, and I think our listeners understand that as well too. That witnesses are an important thing, uh, and not just uh, not just because you could be wrong, you could have misunderstood somebody, you could have. Um, uh, and and I and this is a and and this is a reason why and and I would say to every pastor any person in the ministry, um, it is a very very good thing to record, video, or at least keep a hard copy of everything that you do, um, because are there going to be times where you're going to be be caught off script and you're, you're gonna gonna you're just gonna talk? Yes, that can happen. But, Which happens every Friday on casting that stuff. Well, exactly, <laughs> but we're recording it, so at least I can go back and say, "Oh, I did say that." Um, um, but no, it's but it's one of those things where by, by having it, and I, and I learned this from a pastor friend of mine when I started ministry early on, because he was accused of false doctrine, and he said they had to uh, when he was accused of false doctrine, um, they had two or three witnesses. They brought it to the, the the district president. The district president came in and they said, "We need to have copies of everything you've done, so we know what's going on." And, and he had luckily saved all those things, and it turned out that there was just some people who were turning against him in the congregation who just didn't like what he had to say because it made him feel uncomfortable. But he, he told me, he said, save every sermon you've ever preached. If you can, record it in some way, shape, or form. Save it so that, so that if anybody says anything, you can go back and say, here's, here's exactly what I said, and here's the recording of it. You know, now YouTube makes that easier because we, except for the last couple of weeks, we live stream everything and then there's a depository um, on, on YouTube. And so someone can go back and say, no, this is what pastor said. And this was actually in the church, <laughs> you know. And on the flip side, uh, when, uh, dear listener, don't be afraid to come to your pastor. If you have somebody else who's witnessed to something, don't be afraid to talk to him. And pastors, if there are any of you listening, uh, and I think it's maybe I'm just, I'm just saying this right now to remind myself as well, if two people come to me with a concern, I should be listening to them and swallow my own pride and ego and say, okay, maybe there's something legitimate here. Um, I may have said something or done something that was inappropriate or I said something or done something that was against God's word. So I, I should be be willing to be corrected. And I'd like also that uh, Paul talks about that. Um, right. Um, that correction. That correction. That correction has to happen and can happen. Um, in the visible Christian church, right, and he, but he uses that idea of a persistent sin, um, which is is uh, the difference between not just someone who sins and then is sorry for it, but someone who who really is sinning and wants to be a part of the church, but doesn't acknowledge what they're doing as as anything wrong, and and because of that, in a very visible way, they need to be reminded this is wrong, so that the body can correct it. Um, and I, I struggled with this section because it almost it almost carries with it a sense of shame that the correction is coming because the rest of the body shames them into the correction. And I don't think that was Paul's intent, but that was my first gut instinct. My gut instinct, wow, that's a really shaming effect. Um, but then as I sort of sat on that, I sort of I thought to myself, you know what? No, that that is what the body that is what the body does. You know, I hurt. And, and so why do I hurt? And so the rest of the body goes in to try to find what is going on that's causing it to hurt. And once it, is, is, once it finds out, the rest of the body takes action to correct the problem. So if my arm hurts, it's because maybe I fell on it and I fractured a bone and it, oh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Well, finally figure out, hey, guess what? You broke it. So the rest of the body now favors that arm, right? It puts it in a sling. It tries to correct it. It tries to 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 alleviate the problem, um, as the rest of the body then picks up the slack. The word of God is an important thing, and to handle that word of God is an important thing. And that really, at the end of the day, that's what at the end of verse twenty, where it talks about the rest may be afraid. It's not about personalities of pastors. It's not about their. Um, 
how they carry themselves, but it, the word of God is that we're, is what we're handling and we're sinful. People are handling it. Uh, God's people are sinful. Pastors are sinful, but let's let God's word be dominant and say, this is the most important thing that's going on here in this visible church is that the word of God is being proclaimed and let's hold each other accountable. Let's hold our pastors accountable. Pastors hold your people accountable, both, both and because the word of God is so important and that should be passed on to the next generation. Absolutely. Well, as he comes to the end of his his uh, uh, chapter here, um, or this middle section, chapter five, as we come to an end, he he just kind of wraps up some of his uh, his basic thoughts. I think on the on the on on, on this whole thing, um, he talks about um, um, instruction. Right? Uh, he talks about being uh, impartial, impartial in your in your instruction. Um, so that you're not favoring one over the other. But then he says something, and, and not to glide over verse 21, but to just focus on 22, he says something that I think is is kind of neat, which is don't lay on hands on anyone hastily and do not take part uh, in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, coming back to that idea of the only person you can control is yourself. But the laying out of hands is is the idea of don't, don't be quick to say, okay, we're going to make you a pastor. Uh, just cool your jets a little bit and see how how their growth in faith right yeah there's a benefit to a uh, a process of picking your pastors and not just um going ahead full steam without some sort of vetting process i like that he doesn't have the vetting process out there it's just a uh, timothy you are a man of faith you have a man of doctrine uh you and and we'll we'll talk about this in verses 24 and 25 but we, we want to talk about wine right because that's well, one of the catchwords actually, for, the, for the day. It is, but I, I, I'm going to add, I mean, a beautiful catchphrase. Um, don't just drink water, but, but drink a little wine. Even um, though Will doesn't like wine. I don't like wine, but but I can import another alcoholic drink. <laughs> um, and I can add water to it, and then it's be perfect. No. <laughs> um, my question is, why does he, it's like, he's not even talking about this, and then he just throws it in there. So... You're not talking about what I'm sorry. I keep getting okay. So no, you're not interrupting me. It's just, it's it's the it's okay. So he he's not he's not talking. It's like to me, it's like a complete shift in what he's talking about, and then he's going to shift back to what he's oh. talking about. It's like he's like in the middle of like oh I forgot I I I forgot you have tummy aches. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy, and the best way to solve your tummy ache is drink a little oh, wine, right. get rid of the water. It's causing diarrhea. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what it seems like? Like he's he's on his roll, and he's like, "Don't lay on hands. Don't just call other. You know, don't just make pastors willy nilly. Don't fall into other people's sins." And by the way, <laughs> quit drinking water so much. Get a little wine in your diet. Here's a little medical advice in the middle. <laughs> Keep yourself pure. And here's some medicine for that. Yeah, uh, to me that that uh, um, I, I find that just a little bit of a striking, almost a, almost a very Martin Luther way of going it. You know, uh, it popped into my head, so I'm going to write it down, and, and then I'll come back to what I wanted to really finish up with. And and so, yeah. So all of you out there, you know, water is good, but stop drinking some water sometime and have a little bit of a little bit of wine. Um, it'll help your tummy. Um, <laughs> uh, isn't there a song about that? A little There's bit of wine. There's lots of songs. A little about bit of wine, wine makes drinking. the medicine go down. <laughs> <laughs> lots of songs about alcohol. Um, lots of songs. Anyway, so so he moves then from there and he leaves the topic of wine drinking and he comes back to the topic at hand, right? And he's talking about sin and, and your life as an elder and life as someone who's in the church. And and he 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 just makes this beautiful statement in two verses at the very end. Um, that should be it should be immo- uh, printed on our walls. It it should be it should be everywhere, um, and that's very simply the sins of some people are obvious going on uh, ahead of them to judgment, but the sins of others follow them there. Um, in other words, there sec- there are, there are blatant sins and secret sins, right? There are blatant sins and secret sins, and we have to deal with them all. Uh, eventually, we have to deal with them all. And then he sums it up, the end of this this chapter, he sums up with, in the same way, good works are also obvious, and the ones that are not obvious cannot stay hidden. What a, what a, what a beautiful encouragement, right? Do what's good and don't worry. People will see it. Even if, it's, even if you want to stand in the shadows, even if you want to just, you want to do them outside of the limelight, 
you can't keep them hidden. Just like your sins are always going to be known to God, the good things that God has placed in advance for you to do and walk in, they're always going to be made known because God desires them to be. I always looked at that in terms of, like, sometimes fruits of faith take a while, Timothy. As you are being faithful to God's word, sometimes there will be a fruit of faith that's obvious. Boom, here it is. Uh, I guess you talk to someone, don't be... D- don't live together and the fruit of faith okay we're gonna we're gonna we're not gonna live together that's obvious boom there it is or you talk to someone about a, a gossip and you go this is over and over and over again but yet uh it, it the, the 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 spirit is working on that person and then over time timothy as a pastor to that congregation then you'll see those good fruits um but i i also like what you're saying it's about the good things that god has called us to do the good works that God has called us uh, in advance for us to do are things that are going to somehow show forth in some way. And whether that's here or whether it's in the hereafter, these are good things that God is accomplishing in this visible church through his means of grace, through the public ministry that he talked about with widows and and, uh, elders. Well, and and I think it just goes back down to the realization, you know, even in every one of our lives, right? Um, and I like what you're saying. I'm not discounting it, but it's just the reality that until until your life and your story is written, sometimes people don't really see what, what really happened. And then all of a sudden, when your life when your life has been written, they see all these things that God had given to you and how you handled them. And and it's like, wow. That I mean, I, I look at that and, and I look at the old testament and I and I say the same thing, you know. You see all these bios of all the people in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, but you get a lot more in the Old Testament. You get all these bios of people. And and would somebody have said to, would somebody have looked at Jacob while he was alive and said, man, Jacob, you are a faithful person and you're this and you're that. And I would have been like, no, I probably would have excommunicated him. <laughs> Abraham as well. Abraham as well. But yet when I look at the bios, right, and 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 after after everything is said and done and they have passed from this world into into the glorious next um and the spirit has given to me to read what really was behind the scenes you see the good that they were provided and and some of the bad as well <laughs> i mean glaring obvious um but you see some of the good that they were able to do um as god has or given that god them. was able to do through them and, and that's really where it is yep absolutely yeah so I think that is a, a very telling thing for us um, to remember as as we are living in life and we're struggling with this to, to show our faith, live our faith, be an active member of the body of Christ. Our sins are going to be there because we're sinners. Um, but the good things God has placed for us and that he works through us and in us as we serve one another, they're going to be seen too. And, and that is a joy. That is a joy for us to carry on, a joy for the widows, a joy for the elders, joy for pastors. Um, and everyone else in between.